Chapters twenty five and twenty six of Gretchen by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty five The Two Faces in the Mirror. Toward the last of May, Arthur came to Vassar, bringing with him the graduating dress which he had bought in New York with Maud as his adviser. He had Jerry at the hotel to spend Saturday and Sunday with him, and took her to drive and to shop, and then in the evening asked her to put on her finery that he might see how it looked i shall not hear you spout out your erudition he said for i detest crowds with the dreadful smell of the rooms i have gotten the park-house tolerably free from odours though the cook's drain is terrible at times and i shall have brimstone burned in the cellar once a week but what was i saying oh i know i shall not be here at commencement and i wish to see if my cherry is likely to look as well as any of them so jerry left him alone while she donned the white dress which fitted her superb figure perfectly she knew how well it became her and sure of arthur's approbation went back to the parlour where she had left him he was standing with his back to the door when she came in and going up to him she said here i am in all my gewgaws do you think i shall pass muster she spoke in german as she always did to him and when he turned quickly there was a startled look on his face as he said oh cherry it's you i thought for a moment it was gretchen speaking to me just so she used to come in with her light footstep and soft voice so much like yours where is she cherry that she never comes or writes where is gretchen now his chin quivered as he talked and there was a moisture in his eyes bent so fondly upon the young girl beside him he was worn with the fatigue and excitement of his journey and the long drive he had taken and jerry knew that whenever he was tired his mind was weaker and wandered more than usual so she tried to quiet and divert him by calling his attention to her dress and asking how he liked it it is lovely he said examining the lace and the soft flounces it is the prettiest modern i could find you know she was with me and helped me select it yes it's lovely and so are you cherry with gretchen's eyes and hair and smile and that one dimple in your cheek she used to wear soft white dresses and in this you are enough like her to be her daughter they were standing side by side before a long mirror she taller for a woman than he was for a man so that her face was almost on a range with his as he stooped a little forward glancing into the mirror at the two faces so near to each other jerry saw something which for an instant set every nerve to quivering as she stepped suddenly back looking first at the man's face and then at her own in the mirror it was gone now the look which had so startled her but it had certainly been there a likeness between the two faces and she had seen it plainer than she had ever seen any resemblance between herself and the picture gretchen had blue eyes and fair hair and fair complexion and so had she and so had hundreds of german girls and all arthur had ever said to her had never brought to her mind a thought like the two faces in the mirror what if it were so flashed like lightning through her brain making her so weak that she grasped arthur's arm to steady herself as she tried to speak composedly you are as white as your dress he said it is this confounded hot room let us sit nearer the window they sat down together on a sofa and taking up a newspaper arthur fanned jerry gently while she said to him do you really think i look like gretchen yes except that you are taller you might be her daughter had she had gretchen a daughter was jerry's next question put hesitatingly none that i ever heard of arthur replied and her name when a girl was marguerite heinrich was it not jerry went on yes who told you arthur said 
i saw it on a letter which you gave me to post years ago when i was a child jerry went on you never received an answer to that letter did you what letter did you post for me to marguerite heinrich i don't know what you mean arthur said the old worried look settling upon his face which always came there when he was trying to recall something he ought to remember as he grew older he seemed to be annoyed when told of things he had forgotten and as the letter had evidently gone from his mind jerry said no more of it she remembered it well and never dreaming that it had not been posted she had watched a long time for an answer which never came gretchen was dead that was settled in her mind too but who was she with the words what if it were so still buzzing in her brain the answer to this question was of vital importance to her and after a moment she continued as if she had all the time been talking of gretchen she was marguerite heinrich when a girl in wiesbaden but she had another name afterward when she was married you are talking of something you know nothing about can't you let gretchen alone arthur said petulantly and springing up he began to pace the room in a state of great excitement while jerry sat motionless with a far-off look in her eyes as if she were seeing in a vision things she could not retain they passed so rapidly before her and were so hazy and indistinct the likeness she had seen in the glass was gone now she was not like arthur at all it was madness in her to have thought so and she was not like gretchen either her mother was lying under the little pine-tree which she and harold had planted above the lonely grave her mother had been dark and coarse and bony and a peasant woman so ann eliza peterkin who had heard it from her father had told her once when angry with her and harold when sorely pressed had admitted as much to her dark with large hard hands he had said and jerry had answered indignantly but hard and black as they were they always touched me gently and tenderly and sometimes i believe i can remember just how lovingly and carefully they wrapped the old cloak around me to keep me warm dear mother what do i care how black she was and coarse she was mine and gave her life for me this was when jerry was a child and now that she was older she was seeking to put away this woman with the dark face and the coarse hands and substitute in her place a fairer sweeter face with hands like wax and features like a madonna but only for a few moments and then the wild dream vanished and the sad pale face the low voice the music the trees the flowers the sick room the deathbed, the woman who died and the woman who served all went out together into the darkness and she was jerry crawford again wearing her commencement dress to please the man still pacing the floor abstractedly and paying no heed to her when she went out to change her dress for the blue muslin she had worn through the day when she returned to the parlour she found him at the tea-table which had been laid during her absence taking her seat opposite to him she made his tea and buttered his toast and chatted and laughed until she succeeded in bringing back a quiet expression to the face which bore no likeness now to her own he was talking of the commencement exercises and regretting that he could not be present i may not be home he said and if i am i shall not come crowds kill me and smells kill me and we are sure to have both but harold will be here and he is better than forty old coves like me it is astonishing what a fancy i have taken to that young man i don't see a fault in him except that he is too infernally proud think of his refusing to take any more money from me unless i would accept his note promising to pay it back in time just as if he ever can or will indeed he will jerry exclaimed rousing at once in harold's defence he will pay every dollar and i shall help him you and arthur laughed merrily how will you help him i'd like to know 
i shall teach school or give music lessons or do both to earn something for grandmother jerry answered quickly and i shall help harold and shall pay mr frank all he gave grandmother for my board i know just how much it is three dollars a week from the time i was four years old until i came here to school a big sum i know but i shall pay it you will see she went on rapidly and earnestly as she saw the amused look on arthur's face and felt that he was laughing at her you are going to pay my brother to the uttermost farthing but what of me am i to be left in the cold he asked as he arose from the table and seated himself upon the sofa near the window i expect to be your debtor all my life jerry said as she went up to him i can never pay you for all you have done for me never i can only love you which i do so dearly as the kindest and best of men she was stooping over him now and putting up his hands arthur drew her close to him so that the two faces were again plainly reflected side by side in the mirror opposite the man's gentle and tender as a woman's the girl's flushed and eager and excited as she caught a second time the likeness which made her faint again as she clasped her hands tightly together and listened to what arthur was saying you owe me nothing cherry the indebtedness is all on my side and has been since the day when a little white sunbonnet showed itself at my window and a voice which i can hear yet said to me mr crazy man don't you want some cherries you don't know how much of life and sunshine you brought me with the cherries my sky was very black those days and but for you i am certain that i should long ere this have been what you called me a crazy man for sure locked up behind bars and bolts my little cherry has been all the world to me and though she is very grand and tall and stately now i love to remember her as the child in the sunbonnet clinging to the ladder and talking to the lunatic inside that would make a fine picture and if i were an artist i would paint it some day perhaps maud will did i tell you that while she was abroad she dabbled in water-colours and now she has what she calls a studio where she perpetrates the most atrocious daubs you ever saw poor maud she is weak in the upper story but is on the whole a nice girl and very pretty too with her black eyes and brilliant colour and kittenish ways we are great friends now and she is a comfort to me in your absence i am afraid though that she is not long for this world everything tires her and she has grown so thin that a breath might blow her away i think it would kill frank to lose her his life is bound in hers and he once said to me either that he had sold or would sell his soul for her what do you suppose he meant jerry did not reply the likeness in the mirror had disappeared as arthur grew more in earnest and she listened more intently to what he was saying of maud every word as he went on a blow from which she shrank as from some physical pain yes arthur continued maud is weak mentally and physically though i believe she is trying hard to improve her mind or rather that young man harold is trying to improve it for her he is at the house nearly every day or she is at the cottage but hold on i wasn't to tell and i haven't told only he reads to her sometimes outside when the weather will admit but oftener in her studio where she talks to him of art and where i once saw him giving her a sitting while she tried to sketch his face a caricature i called it ridiculing it so much that she put it away unfinished and is now at work upon some water-lilies he brought her and which are really very good mrs tracy is not pleased with harold's visits and i once overheard her saying to maud why do you encourage the attentions of that young man and why do you run after him every day hold on again what a tattler i am why don't i stick to dolly who said you certainly do not care for him 
he hasn't a cent to his name nor any family and has even worked in peterkin's furnace what maud replied i don't know i only heard dolly bang the door hard as she left the room so i suppose the answer was not a pleasing one dolly is a grand lady and would not like her daughter to marry any ordinary man like harold no jerry said slowly as if speaking were an effort no and you think harold likes maud very much likes her yes why shouldn't he like a girl as pretty as she especially when she meets him more than half way arthur replied and jerry continued in the same measured tone yes and you think he would marry her if her mother would permit it he is not at all likely to do that arthur answered quickly a man seldom marries a woman who throws herself at his head and lets him see how much she cares for him and maud is doing just that she cannot conceal anything i tell you cherry if the time ever comes when you love somebody better than all the world beside don't let him know until he speaks for himself don't be lightly won better be shy and cold than demonstrative and gushing like maud gretchen was shy as a fawn and after i told her i loved her she would not believe it possible but child you look fagged and tired it is time you were in bed i have talked you nearly to death i am not tired jerry said and i want to know what it is about maud's going to the cottage which you must not tell me is she there very often and is that throwing herself at harold's head as you call it she had her arm around his neck in a coaxing kind of way and arthur smoothed the soft white hand resting on his coat collar as he answered laughingly mother eve herself you would have eaten the apple too had you been mrs adam no no i shall not tell any secrets you must wait and see for yourself and now you must go for i am tired she said good-night and went to her room but not to sleep at once because of the tumult of emotions which had been roused by what arthur had told her of maud and harold i don't believe now that i really meant him to make love to her when i asked him to amuse her she whispered to herself as she dashed away two great tears from her cheeks then after a moment she continued but they shall never know no one shall ever know that i care for i don't harold is my brother and i shall love maud as my sister and i will do all i can to make her more like what harold's wife should be she is beautiful and good and sweet and true and with money and position can do far more for him than i could i the daughter of a peasant woman the child of a carpet-bag and yet here jerry's hands beat the air excitedly as she recalled the wild fancy which had twice taken possession of her that night and which had been born of that likeness seen in the mirror many times since she had passed from childhood to womanhood had she speculated upon the mystery which enshrouded her while one recollection after another of past events flitted through her brain only to bewilder her awhile then to disappear into oblivion but never before had she been affected as she was now when the possibility of what might be nearly drove her wild oh if that were so she said i could help harold and i'd give everything to him and make him my king as he is worthy to be there is something far back she continued something different from the woman who died at my side that face which haunts me so often was a reality somewhere it has kissed me and called me darling and i saw the life fade out of it saw it cold and dead i know i did and sometime i'll go to wiesbaden and everywhere and clear the mystery if possible 
and if mother was a peasant girl with hands coarse and hard and black from labour in the field then i too will be a peasant girl and marry a peasant lad and draw his potatoes home in a cart while he trudges at my side at this picture of herself jerry laughed out loud and while trying to think how it would seem to draw potatoes in a cart after having dug them she fell asleep and dreamed of maud and harold and studios and lilies and a face which was a caricature as arthur had said and which when at a late hour she awoke proved to be that of the chambermaid whom arthur had sent to rouse her as he was waiting for his breakfast chapter twenty six maud's letter tracy park june blank eighteen hundred blank my darling jerry i wish i could send you a whiff of the delicious air i am breathing this morning from the roses under my window and the pond lilies which harold brought me about an hour ago don't you think he was up before the sun and went out upon the river to get them for me because he knows how fond i am of them and i told him yesterday that they always made me think of you they are so sweet and pure and fair i wish you could have heard his voice and seen the look in his eyes as he said yes jerry is the lily and you are the rose you set each other off admirably i am glad you are such good friends harold thinks the world of you and were you his own sister i am sure he could not love you better than he does how handsome he has grown since i went away i always thought him splendid-looking but he is more than that now so tall and straight with his head set on his shoulders in such an aristocratic kind of way and then his eyes which look at you so well i don't know how they look at you but they are eyes you would trust and never be afraid of anything bad behind them uncle arthur says his mother was lovely and that his father was one of the handsomest men of his time but i am certain that harold looks better than either of them and has inherited the good qualities of both without a single bad one fred raymond who you know is so sweet on nina st clair says that if harold had all the blood of a hundred kings in his veins he could not be more courtly or dignified in his manner than he is and that is a great deal for a kentuckian to say fred is now at grassy spring visiting dick st clair and will stay until nina comes home i wish harold was rich and if i had money of my own i believe i'd give it to him only he wouldn't take it he is so awfully proud and afraid somebody will help him and yet i respect him for the pride which has made him teach school and do everything he could find to do in order to go through college the last two years and pay his own way but i did not like it a bit when i heard he had accepted a situation in peterkin's furnace i know he had good wages but it is dreadful to think of harold under such a man even if billy is there when i told uncle arthur he laughed and said honour and shame from no condition rise i wonder what he meant i asked tom and he said i was a fool harold is studying law now all the time he can get in judge st clair's office but he comes to read to me for an hour or more nearly every day he came of his own accord too and sometimes i half think he is trying to drive something into my head or was when he began to read to me about those old greeks hesiod or herod i don't know which and theogony that's rather a pretty name don't you think so but i could not stand the greeks my mind is too weak to be impressed by anything grecian unless it is the grecian bent you tried it until you were discouraged and gave it up telling me i was the stupidest idiot you ever saw that was the time we had the spelling school in the tramp house and you were the teacher and harold chose me first and i spelled biscuit biscuit do you remember how i cried and when you told me nobody would ever like me unless i knew something harold said don't talk like that jerry those who know the least are frequently like the best 
what a comfort those words have been to me and especially at the time when i failed so utterly in my examination at vassar and had to give it up oh jerry you do not know how mortified i was over that failure to think i knew so little and the worst of it is i can't learn or understand or remember and it makes my head ache so to try i am sorry on father's account he is so proud of me and would like to see me take the lead in everything poor father he is growing old so fast why his hair is as white as snow and he sometimes talks to himself just as uncle arthur does i wonder what ails him that he never smiles or seems interested in anything except when i am smoothing his hair or sitting on his knee then he brightens up and calls me his pet and his darling and talks queer kind of talk i think he asks me if i am glad i live at tracy park if i like the pretty things he buys me and if i should be happy if i were poor not real poor you know but as we were at langley before i was born i went there with him a few weeks ago for the first time and oh my goodness gracious such a poky little house with the stairs going right up in the room and such a tiny stuffy bedroom i tried to fancy mamma's scent bottles and brushes and combs and that box for polishing her nails transported to that room and her in there with rosalie dressing her hair it made me laugh till i cried and i think papa did actually cry for he sat down upon the stairs and turned his head away and when he looked up his eyes were wet and red with such a sorry look in them that i went straight up and kissed him and asked him playfully if he were crying for the old days when he lived in that house and sold codfish in the store yes maud he said i believe i'd give the remainder of my life if i could be put back as i was when your uncle arthur's letter came and turned my head oh if the years and everything could be blotted out what do you suppose he meant i was frightened and did not say a word until he asked me those questions i told you about did i like pretty things did i like to live at tracy park and could i bear to be poor and live in the langley house i just told him no i should not like to live in langley that i did like living at tracy park and did like the pretty things which money bought then i ought to be content if my beautiful maud is so he said and the tired look on his face lifted a little he calls me beautiful so often but i don't see it do you of course you don't you think me too black and small and thin and so i am but i think you have the loveliest and sweetest face i ever saw except gretchen's who was she i wonder uncle arthur does not talk much of her now though i believe he kisses her every night and morning how much he thinks of you and how much he has talked of cherry since his visit to you in may did he say anything to you of a trip to california he took us quite by surprise two weeks ago by telling us he was going he wanted to see the yosemite valley before he died he said and june was the time to see it so he started off with charles about ten days ago and the house seems so dull without him if i can i shall come to see you graduate with the other vassars though i shall be ashamed to be seen where i failed so utterly i might have known i should for i haven't about me a single quality which would entitle me to be a vassar how learned you and nina will be and how you will cast me in the shade making me seem stupider than ever i did try very hard to learn to speak german when i was abroad with mamma for father wished it particularly but i could not do it and gave it up i have not a capacity for anything except to love and suffer and sacrifice for those i love do you know it sometimes frightens me to think how devotedly i could love someone not a girl but a man a lover a husband who loved me why i would give my life for him and bear any kind of torture if it would add to his happiness 
but why write this nonsense to you who never acted as if you cared an atom for any boy not even dick st clair who used to give you sugar hearts and call you his little wife entre nous who says i don't know two french words mamma would like to make a match between dick and me but she never will dick is nice and i like him but not that way poor mamma how much she thinks of money and position i tell her she ought to have a photograph of the old langley house hung up in her room to keep her in mind of her former condition just now she has the craze to hammer brass and paint in watercolours and goes over to mrs atherton's to take lessons don't you think that mrs peterkin may jane had like aspirations with mamma and wanted to join the class but the teacher found that she had as many pupils as she could attend to and so may jane is left out in the cold but mr peterkin says by george my wife shall have accomplishments if money can buy em and so i suppose she will what strides those peterkins have taken to be sure and what a big house he has built with such a funny name le bateau which as he pronounces it sounds like too. it is just finished and they have moved into it i have not been there but tom has and he says it fairly glitters it is so gorgeous and looks inside like those chariots which come with circuses you ought to hear peter can talk about his Anne lizzie who he says is to vassar getting schoolin with the big bugs and when she comes hum he is goin to get her a hoss and cart for her own and a maid and a valet too if she wants one well there are some bigger fools in the world than i am and that's a comfort as for billy he stammers worse if possible than he used to when he told us we were pl pl plaguy mean to pl pl plague and lizzie so but i guess i will let him burst upon you in all the magnificence of his summer attire his light clothes short coat tight pants pointed shoes and stove-pipe hat to make him look taller he comes here occasionally to see tom and always talks of you i do believe you might be mrs billy peterkin and live at lubertou if you wanted but really billy is very kind to harold who gets twice as much wages in the office when he writes there as he would if it were not for billy tom is home doing nothing but taking his ease and aping an english swell you know he was with mamma and me in england and since his return has affected everything english and looks quite like the dude of the period he too seems interested in your return and i don't know but you might be mistress of tracy park if you could fancy the encumbrance dick st clair is going to vassar and harold too if he possibly can he is very busy just now with something he must finish and perhaps he can't be there tom is going and fred raymond and billy peterkin quite a turnout from shannondale i can hardly wait to see you only think it is almost two years since i said good-bye for we went to europe just after harold was graduated and your last christmas holidays were over before we came home what a long letter i have written you and have not told you a word of my health about which you inquired so particularly did uncle arthur tell you anything i wish he had not for it worries me to have people look and act and talk as if i were sick when i am not if i had not a pain in my side and a tickling cough which keeps me awake nights and makes me sweat until my hair is wet i should be perfectly strong and but for the pain and the weariness i feel as well as i ever did and i go out nearly every day and i don't want to die and leave my beautiful home and father and mother and you and everybody i love i am too young to die i cannot die oh jerry i am glad you are coming home you will do me good just as harold does 
he is so strong every way and so kind i can't begin to tell you what he has been to me since i came home in march more than a friend more than a brother and now i must say good-bye for i am getting tired and must rest i was at the cottage this morning and harold is coming here this afternoon to read tennyson's may queen to me he has read it a dozen times but i am never tired of it although it makes me cry to think of that grave in the long grass with little alice in it cold and dead listening for those she loved to come and weep over her you know she says to her mother i shall hear you when you pass with your feet above me in the long and pleasant grass oh jerry if it should be you know what i mean if there should come a time when people say to each other maud tracy is dead you'll come often won't you and think of me always as the friend who weak and stupid as she was loved you dearly dearly now good-bye again harold has just come in and says remember me to jerry and tell her i shall hope to see her graduated but do not know i am so busy truly and lovingly maud tracy p s tom has come in and says give my love to jerry p s number two dick st clair and fred raymond are here and both send their regards p s number three if you will believe me billy peterkin is here nibbling his little cane and says present my compliments to miss crawford just think of it five or rather four young men for tom don't count for me to entertain but i can do it and rather like it too though they all tire me except harold jerry read this letter which was received a few days before commencement two or three times and each time she read it the little ache in her heart kept growing larger until at last it was actual pain and covering her face with her hands she cried like a child it is maud i am crying for she kept saying to herself i know she is worse than they have told me she is going to die and i am mean to grudge her harold's love if that will make her happier why does she go to the cottage so often i wonder is it to see him he would not like me to do that he was chagrined when i kissed him at harvard but then he does not love me and he does maud but he must come to commencement i'll write and tell him so and seizing her pen jerry wrote rapidly and excitedly dear harold i have just heard from maud who says there is a possibility that you will not come to vassar but i shall be so disappointed if you do not i would rather have you here than all the wise old heads in the state so come without fail no matter what you are doing i can't imagine anything which should keep you tell grandma i am longing to be home and keep thinking just how cool and nice the kitchen looks with the hop vine over the door but she will have to raise the roof soon for i do believe i've grown an inch since last winter and am in danger of knocking my brains out in those low rooms good-bye till i see you jerry end of chapters twenty five and twenty six